Welcome to the Dear Katie podcast. And we are back. This is Katie Kessner. And this is Claire Kaplan. Before we get started, just a reminder, as we always do, that the content of this podcast can be very difficult emotionally for any person, but also especially for survivors of trauma. So please don't hesitate to reach out for support if you need it, whether from friends or family members or anonymous hotlines. You can find resource information for survivors at the Take Back the Night Foundation website. We'll also share that address for that website at the conclusion of the podcast. Thank you so much, Claire, for that, um, you know, heads up for everyone listening. And as we always do, it's so exciting to hear from someone who wrote to me along their own journey as a survivor reaching out to me, also having shared my own truth, my story, my past, my pain. And um, we are so thrilled to have someone else share their Dear Katie letter that they wrote to me. So let's listen to someone else for a moment. Mrs. Kessner, I wish to thank you again for coming to speak to my school. It's probably easier to hide from issues of abuse and rape at an all-male school. Our young men needed a good, undeniable wake-up call. For those, I believe few, who might contemplate such an offense, I hope they will now think twice and however many times they need to think in order not to make that grievous and irrevocable error. My sister now deceased, was an abused woman by more than one man, so I have more of a personal interest in your work because I can see her on stage as well. I have used a couple of her stories of her drug abuse, another of her many burdens, to enlighten my students, but they do not know about her other abuse. I don't know if I can tell those stories. I am thankful you have the courage I have yet to find to tell yours. K.O. Wow, always incredibly amazing and powerful that someone was willing to share that journey with me. Um, and now we will roll into present tense. Um, our guest today is Kelly. Kelly, thank you so much for sharing your story, your journey with all of our listeners. And it's so incredibly important to kind of start out with a little bit about who you are so our listeners have some you know, where are you now? Where do you live? Where did you grow up? Share a little bit about you. Sure. Um, I currently live in Bloomington, Indiana. Um, I grew up a little bit everywhere. Um, I traveled a lot when I was a kid. Uh, my father was in the restaurant business, and so I've lived a little bit of everywhere across the United States. Um, I'm a single mom. I have a 19, almost 20-year-old daughter. Um uh, I am a fiscal director for a nonprofit. I've worked in nonprofit social services for the last 23 years. I put myself through school when my daughter was a toddler, so my degree is actually in biotechnology. Um, other than that, I guess hobby-wise, I, I throw axes and knives these days. <laughs> so um, I guess that's probably about the best part of, of what I've got to share there. Oh my gosh, I love already axes and knives and having a kid. The mic in front of you, um, the journey and story and narrative that brings you to that mic, where did that start? What, what does that look like for you? Sure. Um, I had been in a long-term relationship uh, for about a little over 12 years. 
and um, was completely gaslit. Uh, I found out some pretty horrible things. I ended up the re- ended the relationship. I way sat out for about a year and a half and even remotely wanting to try to date again. And I had done some self-healing and gone to therapy and it felt like I was in a good place to at least try uh, just to get myself out there a little bit. And I have two very close friends who had met on OkCupid years ago. And so I thought, well, I would at least try that platform. And pretty much right away, I uh, took up a conversation with someone local. And uh, I thought, wow, this is kind of too good to be true. He's a professional. He, he works for the city. He has, he has a son that's around my daughter's age. They went to the same high school. He seemed very uh, family-oriented. He and his uh, former partner had ended their relationship roughly around the time that I ended mine, so he had been out of it for as long as I had. He said that he had been dating a little bit here and there um, at first. And, and uh, so, I mean, it was just very easygoing conversation. Uh, we met for dinner at a, a local brew house here in Bloomington, where I know, you know, the majority of the staff. The date just was weird from the get-go, and I was having a very hard time getting a bead on him, and he was not at all who I thought that he was. Hey, Kelly. Yeah, totally. This is so amazing, and so I'm so glad you're sharing your narrative, because this is new to our listeners. We have not yet talked about these people we meet online and your vibe on this guy. I really think it'd be really amazing to dig in on what were those bells and whistles going off? You know, was it how he was dressed? Was it, you know, if you thought back, what was making you feel already like this may not be great? What could you share with our our listeners? As far as the bells and whistles go, his mannerisms were not the same as they were in his flow of conversation. He couldn't look me in the face for very long. He wasn't very personable. When we were at dinner, he was maybe looking at the woman sitting next to me. Um, I, I, told, I, I tried to end, like at, after dinner, I was like, you know, this was nice. You know, I, I guess, you know, I'm just not feeling like maybe we want to do the next thing. Um, I don't particularly pick up that you're having a good time. So I'm, I'm fine with ending it. I really appreciate you having dinner with me. And he acted shocked. And it was the most animated that he had been pretty much since he met me. Um, pretty, I mean, right off the bat, it was more of a bead. I think that he was able to tell that I was very nervous. And so he went ahead and played on keeping me nervous. It was just his mannerisms. They came across as false. It was like anytime he would try to, I would try to engage in a conversation, trying to learn more about him. Aside from what we talked about electronically, there was this persona about him electronically that was not present in his physical being. And that is the biggest warning sign that I had. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question because, you know, you, your hackles were raised and you knew something was wrong and you make the attempt to end the evening. How, what did he how did he reel you back in? He acted shocked. He was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm having a great time. I, 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 would, I would, you know, I thought we were going to go back and watch a movie. Um, you know, I really would like to still do that and continue to get to know you. And so I, being so nervous with it being a first date, 
and being the first time that I had been out in a decade and a half almost was like, okay, it's just me. It's just me. I'm being nervous. And so I was like, all right, well, that's fine. I, okay. I'll, I'm fine with going back and, um, you know, watching the movie like we had planned that that's fine. But I feel like Kelly, when you say that to me, I'm hearing you say the bad news for a lot of our listeners is just like you. There's this guilt tripping. There's like, oh my gosh, I owe you something. You're being kind. And therefore I, I must, you know, assuage something about what you're request was and were you feeling like was it like it I always feel like if we were so rock solid in our confidence like we thought we were millionaire billionaires kick butt everything we would just be like kick this guy to the side but I think so often I'm in the same boat I was like I I'm the guilty one because I've already asked you and accepted your gracious date and now I'm letting you down. How much do you think that played into your mentality that night? I think that it played a lot into my mentality because I do believe at the end that this is a man that's a predator. I think that he preys on women that are emotionally crippled and and I see that as a historical thing in the things that I have been able to find out about him. And even in the things that he told me now in retrospect, you know, I think that he was able to assess that I was somebody who was out. I I mean, I point blank told him that I was, this was the first date I had been on in 15 years. I I point blank told him that. Uh, We left. I, and I agreed to follow him back. I knew that he lived close to where my sister lived. Um, but I was relieved to find out that it was literally just three doors down. I didn't tell him that, but I knew I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to be okay because like my sister's down the street. I went into the house and we sat and we talked for a while, but we're talking and like in the middle, like we're talking about like board games, you know, cause I'm a mom, you know, he's a dad and we're just talking about games. I don't really know what else to talk about because my whole life has been wrapped around my family turns to me and he's like, well, are you ready to move this into the other room? And I said, no, I said, no, I'm comfortable here. We're, we're fine talking. And his whole demeanor changed. And at that point I, I got very nervous and I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to go ahead and go. And I got up and I basically bolted from the house. Um, and I left. And so, um, I cried all the way home. He texted and asked if I was okay. If I got home. Okay. And I said, yes. And then I didn't hear from him for a couple of days. And I texted him because I'd beat myself up because I figured I'd freaked out. And I told him, I texted him, I was like, I'm so sorry. I was nervous. You know, my last relationship, again, gave him more personal information, excusing my behavior as opposed to dressing that he was having, he was throwing red flags. I mean, who, he didn't, he, he hadn't engaged with me at all. What do you mean move into another room? You know, and so... He was like, no, I understand. You know, you you did seem a little nervous. And he's like, do you want to come over and we can talk about it? And I was like, well, all right. So again, I go over and um, we're talking and he's, he is more present. Like it's a different person. You know, he was very sweet. He, well, I guess sweet in the context of he wasn't making me feel extremely nervous and uneasy. He was engaging, you know, and he was like, you know, oh no, you know, I really had a good time, but I could just tell that you're nervous. And, 
He's like, and, but quite honestly, you know, if you, and he like kissed me and that was fine. And I leaned, you know, that was great because I hadn't been kissed in a long time. <laughs> you know, And so I had, you know, pulled back and, and he was like, he's like, can I tell you something? And I'm like, well, yeah. And he's like, well, when you bent over to put on your boots before you ran out of the house, you know, your shirt fell open and, and I, I'm rather top heavy. And, and he's like, he's like, and I, I, I wanted to do nothing but like suck on your tits. So then um, I, I kind of was like, took it back a little bit. Uh, but again, I, I was just like, I just kind of laughed and I was like, oh, 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 well, yeah, I didn't get that vibe from you at all. And he's like, oh no. He's like, I could just tell that you were nervous. And I was like, well, no, I was. And so I was like, you know, thanks for talking with me and, and I appreciate it. And he's like, oh yeah, no problem. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go. So I left, you know, I mean, we, we like made out a little bit, you know, stuff, but I mean, I left. And so then, um, I, uh, for whatever reason, for like the next week, week and a half, almost two weeks, it became a situation where all he talked to me about was sex electronically. I was starting to get dick pics from him, from his office. Um, he would ask me what I'm doing and I would reply and then he wouldn't talk to me for a couple of days. So I was constantly like, not sure about what was going on. And then we got into um, my sister's husband's grandmother passed away. I needed to take care of her dog so they could go up to the funeral. And so I went to her house and it was raining and the dog had gotten kind of muddy. And so I had took a shower and had come outside to put stuff in my car and he went by. And so I texted him because he looked right at me. And I said, hey, I'm not trying to creepy stalk you or anything. I told you that my sister lived close. I just didn't tell you that she lived three doors down. Um, and he's like, well, no, I hadn't heard from you in a minute because I hadn't replied to the last dick pic that he had sent me. And um, he's like, you want to come up and hang out? You want to come up and play? And so I was like, okay, well, I can probably do that. Again, thinking, all right, we might make out a little bit. We're going to hang out. You know, that's cool. You know, at least he's there. So um, I walked up the street walked in the house, his house. And I sat down um, in the foyer right as I stepped in because it had been raining heavily. And I had uh, tall boots on and I sat down to take my boots off. And I stood up to kick the other, the last boot off and he was on me. Um, he had me up against the wall. I didn't even have the front door shut. And at first it was kind of I guess, passionate for lack of a better word. I, I wasn't alarmed yet at that moment. I just couldn't think fast enough about what was happening. And so I kind of pushed him away and I was like, oh, you know, let me get in the door, you know, and, you know, and he's like, I'm just really excited to see you. And I'm like, okay, well, I need a glass of water, you know? And, and he's like, all right. So he, he kind of made a frown face, like, like a glass of water was too much to ask for or something. He went and got me the water and I came into the house and he had me the water and he took my hand and he's like, well, come back, come back here with me. And so you know, he, he led me back into his bedroom and shut the door. And then things just really got out of hand fast. And I don't know how, how you want me to start this part of the story or if you want me to just keep talking. Maybe because it, you know, I don't know how much detail you want to go into, and it may be hard for the listeners to hear that, that maybe you could give us a general nutshell of what occurred. Because what we really want to be able to do is 
talk about the impact of this experience on you. So tell us, can you kind of give us a summary of what occurred? And then we'll talk about what happened afterwards. I spent an hour in that room crawling around trying to get away from him. Um, I asked him to be easy multiple times. I did not say no, but I did ask him to be easy. Um, I crawled away one time and got into the middle of the bed and pulled the blankets around me and asked him why he was so angry. And he just laughed at me and then pulled me closer to him. He spit on me. Um, he uh, had me by my hair at one point and said he didn't want to hurt me unless I wanted him to. I'm, a, I'm assuming, sorry to interrupt, but I'm assuming you never told him you wanted him to hurt you. Well, no, no. I mean, he, I, he, yeah, no. Um, it, it was, it was brutal. It was a, a brutal experience. Um, he was covered in my blood. I was covered in my blood. Um, when he was done with me, he tried to hand me a t-shirt because um, I was like huddled on the floor and I said, um, I can't use your t-shirt. I'm bleeding, Eric. And he just looked at me and I said, I just need to use the restroom. And so he's like, yeah, you can go use the restroom. So I stood up and um, got my legs underneath me and went into the restroom. And then um, there, like I had, um, I had blood on my face and around my neck and down my chest and running down my legs. Um, and then I tried to clean up the best I could without getting it on his children's toothbrushes by the sink. And I remember that very clearly because I'm a mom and I'm a good mom. And, um, uh, I went back in and, um, got my pants and I was mad, you know, and I was like, I, I just couldn't think fast enough, like what had just happened, you know, and like, I mean, I had been yelling all of it, none of it would have been something that I think a normal person would have thought was somebody else having a good time. You know, I constantly had been putting my hands on his pelvis to try to push him away to give space because it was so uh, brutal. And then, um, you know, I, I left. I ran out of his house and ran down to my sister's house and then laid on the floor and cried because I wasn't really too sure what had happened. And then um, I got myself up in the, you know, to move in the morning and realized that, I mean, it was, it was quite disgusting what he had done. There had been no discussion of protection or of anything. He just started going at it uh, right away manhandling me right away so there was no no discussion about that and I needed to go and get plan b um and for that matter um I have not been medically correct since I have not had a period correctly since he put his hands on me that's one of the physical fallouts from this right now oh my gosh Kelly I'm with you in present tense this is not past it's still going on for you um, and I'm sure so many of our listeners are in the same place, honestly, Kelly, like so many are probably going to hear your voice and be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this was just yesterday for me, last night for me, last weekend for me. Um, and your courage is so inspiring. 
um, Claire, I and I I want to help Kelly bring her story and her voice to more people. But I think the ongoing experience, but how you're coping, Kelly, if you could share the things that come to my mind. Let's start with um, present tense healing process. I'm in therapy every week. Does it help? How'd you find a therapist? The doctor who I finally went to, I, I uh, did finally get an exam about nine days after he touched me because I wasn't able to move uh, still. And um, I was breaking down uh, because, uh, you know, I have a beautiful daughter. Now, if I can't protect myself, you know, this is my mindset. How am I going to protect her? So I was sleeping in front of, or not even sleeping, but just sitting up in front of the door all night long. And so um, when I finally went in, because the pain wouldn't let up, even nine days after, without her uh, even starting to do any type of internal exam, she could see the damage outside still. And so... Um, I kind of freaked out a little bit in the doctor's office. Obviously, I was a mess. And so she is a psych um, major as well and sent me to a doctor or sent me to a therapist right away. So I went over there and started talking to them. And then I did not think that that therapist that I first met was going to be able to help me. And so someone else within the... Um, the group of people, you know, I can't think of the word, I apologize, uh, is an expert in EDMR. Claire, let's pause, let's pause and you help our listeners explain what that means. Um, it's EMDR is a, is a particular therapeutic um, technique that uses eye movement and... Um, uh, usually either tapping or other kinds of things. And you talk about certain memories and you're doing this tapping at the same time. It, it's, it's an eye movement uh, desensitization process. And it actually causes a sort of rewiring of the brain so that when you have certain memories, um, they aren't, um, they don't immediately elicit um, sort of panic or these strong emotions. And it, it's found to be very effective for people with these kinds of really strong traumatic memories. It works. It's quite effective for people with trauma. It doesn't work for everybody. It's not good for everybody. It, it depends on your situation, but it, for a lot of people, it could be very helpful. So it, um, I'm interested to know Kelly, if this was helpful for you. It has been helpful in some degree. Um, it is, it is. And I'm, I'm going to add to what you said, Claire, cause I've obviously I'm not an expert in it, but I have done an extensive amount of, of research on it as well. It is more uh, trauma sits in our frontal lobe in our short-term memory, which is why it, we have triggers. If you have post-traumatic stress um, syndrome or if you um, you know have CPTSD, the triggers that come are because you aren't able to process what has happened into long-term memory, right? So the EMDR is supposed to help take those traumas and push them into the long-term and, and abate the triggers that happen when you have CPTSD or PTSD. That's right. And part of the issue is that um, when we have these sort of automatic responses to um, 
triggers, which we have no control over. Um, it's it's the the middle part of our brains, not the thinking brain, that that is um, tr- is responding the um, the um, hypothalamus and that part of the brain because that's what elicits the sort of automatic responses. It's the survival part of the brain, right? When the lion loses you, you've got to work fast, right? So, but it keeps going even when you're not being chased by a lion. So, and that the that's the idea is to get sort of a control of those sorts of um, uh, automatic responses um, when when you're not in danger, but the memories are causing the sort of feeling that you're still in danger, um, and, and that can be helpful with those things. So if you you know for people who are having those problems, we know what the kind of um, panic attacks or or easy triggers or you know things come back and you just feel like you're right there again. Um, if you can find someone who um, uses those that method of you know, you can go to talk therapy and be doing EMDR at the same time. You can do all these things at the same time. But if you, if there's someone in your area who does that, it might be worth checking out. I think that it is worth checking out. Um, it is very difficult, um, especially at first, because it also will bring back those, some of those suppressed memories. Sometimes you don't, you don't understand why you're having the trigger that you're having to a specific situation, because it might be a little bit off base to what you know, just your normal thinking mind would think would be a trigger. Um, But then when you do the EMDR, there is something that has happened maybe in your past um, or present for that matter that you maybe have forgotten. Um, And so it it helps. uh, It's not somebody that it's not a situation where somebody's walking you through a memory. You're the one going through it yourself. You know, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, that's that's why I responded that way. There's the connection you know, to something maybe completely uh, uh, obscure to what you would think would be to, to the current trauma that might have brought you to, to, to trying to do the EMDR. So was it bringing up stuff related to your past relationship as well, this stuff coming up there? Yeah, it was, you know, and, and, and some trauma from my childhood even, right? I mean, you know, the, the reason that I didn't uh, fight back, the reason that I, I, uh, crawled away and, and just asked to use the restroom, you know, was something that almost parallel happened to me when I was a small child, rolling off the bed and trying to get away from someone who was hurting me. And I didn't even realize that until six months into this EMDR therapy, that that is why I responded the way that I did. You know, and so it, it took away some of the, the, uh, for lack of a better word, anger at myself because I didn't fight back, right? And so like a lot of the problems that I have had is accepting what happened to be external to something that I could control. And I did not have control of that situation. I did not make the choices that were made in that room by the person who hurt me. I did not do you have anything to do with that? And for the longest time, I carried that blame. I blamed myself. It's why it took me so long to report, because I blamed myself. So you're finally figuring out that it wasn't your fault. Hallelujah. Um, and you talked about it took you a long time to report. So did you? I did report two months. I was also, because uh, I was doing the therapy 
and there is a group here in town um, that is services to women for domestic violence, sexual assault. And um, I had been actually working with them, not only because of my profession, but because uh, of my previous relationship. Um, even though it wasn't a, a physically abusive one, it was mentally and emotionally abusive uh, very badly. And uh, they were able to help me. And so when I got hurt um, by Eric, I went to them. I actually went to them before I went in to get the exam. Um, and I and they begged me to go in, but I just couldn't do it. And uh, but eventually I did go, but they helped me. And then one of the uh, one night, you know, because I struggled so much, I was like, you know, this is somebody who's a dad, and he's a good person, and I don't understand why I'm responding this way. You know, I mean, I don't understand. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. And finally, the the facilitator, she's like, Kelly, you know, why? Why do you keep saying this? You know, we keep telling you that what you know what you are sharing with us, what you've lived through, you know, is not something that is normal. You know, that's not a normal interaction with somebody. This guy's a monster. And I said, well, I mean, he was trying to be nice, you know, and I, I, like, as I was trying to leave the house, he told me to go home and take a bath. And the moderate, the facilitator, she's like, wait a minute, what did you say? I said, he told me to go home and take a bath. And she's like, you've not told us that before. And I said, well, I really didn't think it was important. It pissed me off because I had just told him that I got out of the shower and my hair was still wet when I got there. So why would he tell me to go home and take a bath? Right. You know, like, the, and, and she's like, because he's done this before. And, and, it, and I, I was in shock. And so I walked out of that meeting and the meetings across the street from the police station. And I stood in the snow for an hour trying to figure out what I'm going to do because it isn't about me anymore. If he's hurting other people and I did nothing, I did nothing. And I, I'm a lot of things in this life, but I am a protector. I do not allow other people to harm others if I can prevent it. That is not, that is what I do in this life. And um, I wasn't too sure what I was supposed to do. And so um, I stood there in the snow for like an hour and then I finally went home and I sat up all night and I, Opened up and re restarted my uh, OK Cupid app, and I reported him. That was on a Friday, and by Monday, their security people had contacted me and shut him down and shut him down out of match entirely. He's not allowed on any match groups, and that was with me not having a police report. I told the people at uh, the the women's center that this happened, and they said they have something else on them because the the emails that I have back from the security people said that if I do decide to report it at all, that I can contact them, that the that they will provide anything they need to any of the law enforcement agencies that may contact them. So that you think other people have already reported him? I think that they, I think that that or his activity that they could see through red flags. And so he was banned from all of match.com. And so for a month, that was, I guess, good enough for me. Well, I'm sorry. I should say that that, that on Monday night, they told, talked to me. They told, sent me the email saying that he was banned. And then um, by five, on 5 o'clock Tuesday, within 10 minutes of him having to have left his office, he emailed he, he texted me and said, um, 
I received an email. I received notice today that you got me kicked off of OKCupid. Um, I received your letter and I didn't respond because I thought you were just expressing your feelings. But now you're interfering with my life and I can't have you running around with these thoughts of me in your head. Let me know if you need to talk for you. And so when I got done with the exam the month before, and I was free and clear of any diseases that he could have given me, I did send him a letter saying that what he did was unacceptable, that my doctors and my, then the people at Middleway, which is the place that I go to, um, said that what he did was rape. I explained that, um, the things that happened between him and I, I'm, I'm trying to paraphrase so you guys don't have to listen to all of it. In the end, I told him that if he, this is how he treats people, one day he's going to hurt someone and they're going to be able to make the rape thing stick. And when that happens, then I will always remember his name and I won't leave her to stand alone. And so that's what he, the letter he was referencing. So then we get about another month out. I'm in therapy I'm trying to just hold on to everything that I have and it's not enough. No, Kelly, I, I hear everything. And we only have, unfortunately, a few more moments with our listeners for our today time. Um, but if I can summarize, I think what you've shared with our listeners today, Kelly has been a narrative of, you know, luring over the web this man who cajoled and tricked and used every possible method. And our listeners can go back and listen to your storytelling on so many details you've noticed along the way. And then ultimately how he did perpetrate rape upon you, which is, you know, beyond belief. And now you're you're in the midst of trying to navigate the legal situation, which I'm sure so many of our listeners are saying, like, is it worthy? Can I do this? And I think you've given them hope and insight that it is worth it. So as we close with our session, I would only like to hear from you on, on two points. You know, one is it's still really raw and fresh but you're still incredibly strong. What techniques can you give to our listeners that you're using every day, every moment to thrive and survive? What are your two top tips? I meditate and I work actively on healthier self-talk. Um, the dialogue inside of our heads, I think when this kind of thing happens, um, becomes very ugly and, and jaded. And that is the worst thing that we can allow to happen. And this is something that we do have control over. We can tell ourselves good things, that we were strong, that we fought back, and maybe not in that moment, but I've been fighting ever since. And I've fought to put him in his place to the best of my ability. 
and I have fought to keep myself together and my feet underneath me so that I didn't falter in front of my kid because of something that somebody else did. And there is a lot of strength in that. And Kelly, that is 100% so brilliant, so brilliant and so well put. Um, do you, yep, nope, you fight and that's part of our success stories. We don't give up. We know that there's something more we can do to make sure that what happened to us does not happen to anyone else. I hear that so clearly in your your story tonight, your stories today. When you say, I'm not going to, this is what he did. This is, you're thinking so strategically about what he did, how he orchestrated, how he maneuvered. And I think every bit of what you offered is going to help so many people. Um, but I want to, and then Claire, you have the final question, but I only have one more final one for you, Kelly, is, you know, you said meditation and you said your personal mantras, but I also know when we get really dark and hateful of ourselves, we all go to those dark places. I like to think what is, you know, I was envisioning you throwing axes. I kind of think maybe that's what pulls you out of the darkest places. But what what else can you give to our listeners that pulls you out of the darkest self self-blame game that so many of us go to? What else would you offer? I go to the chat rooms. I go to uh, reading anything, anything at all you know, that I can find about date rape and, 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 and how people are responding because you do start to doubt yourself. Sometimes you can, you can. And the, what I found with you and, and why I reached out to you, I didn't realize I was reaching out to you directly. I just was writing in to thank you basically because what happened is it was a three o'clock in the morning kind of thing where I'm beating myself up. And I think that I'm nuts you know, and that I've damaged my friends and my family and my, and all kinds of things, because maybe I've just made this worse than what it was. And, and in reading some of the stories and some of the things that you wrote and how it affects victims offered validity in my feelings, because all of our stories are different. What happened to us is different. Who we are, we're different, but the way that we feel is the same. That level of shame, that level of fear, that level of doubt that we have in ourselves, all of that offered validity to me because then it's not just my story, right? How I feel is how another woman in another state feels about what happened to her. And that offers validity. So I would tell the listeners that if you're struggling, reach out, reach out and talk to other people because it's not you. You didn't make it up. You didn't exaggerate. You didn't do anything wrong. You're not alone, and you have every right to have your voice heard. Kelly, you are you are the best. You are my hero too. I, you know, I'm not a hugger either. But if you are, I give you a virtual hug. But my gosh, your your words, your story, your share, your conviction, your vision, and your you know, invitation, your invitation to every one of our listeners to reach out, to share, to shatter the silence. Thank you so much, Kelly. Yeah, thank you. And I do have one more question. I hate to, to divert because this is such a great way to end. But um, I do have to ask, have you, just, because 
I'm wondering if your daughter is aware and, and what have you said to her and what are you teaching her about this? That's what I'm kind of wondering. Sure. My daughter, I, I was, I was able to keep it from her for about two weeks, uh, but she couldn't even hug me because I was in so much physical pain still. Um, when I did report, the detectives actually came and interviewed her and I had to stand outside my house and have my child ask if um, I make reports like this often. So if you guys ever want to do another podcast about what happens when you do go to report and how you got to keep your head up and your back straight, you need to go ahead and contact me because I'll be glad to talk about that too. And so, um, so with my daughter going off to school, um, I have walked a very sharp line because I realized that she was scared. And she, she unfortunately sat outside my bedroom one night when I was calling and talking to my mom during the police investigation and her details that I would have preferred she not know. And um, I had to address that. And uh, my daughter, my daughter is my light in this life. And um, I hope that she views me as being a strong person. I think she does. She tells me that all the time. It took me a while to tell her that I was going to do this podcast, quite frankly, because I was worried that she would think that it would set me back. But she was proud of me. And she's waiting for me to call her, you know, when we're done. And um, with her being, my daughter's beautiful. My daughter's outside beautiful. She's inside beautiful. And, uh, I worry about something like this happening to her a lot. You are allowed to have your feelings and act on them accordingly. Don't doubt it. Don't second guess it. Get the fuck out. Sorry to swear, but seriously, get the fuck out. But that's how it is. Get away. You don't have to sit there and try to figure out if he's trying to be nice or not. Leave. You sound like an awesome mom and an inspiration to your daughter. And you are to, to, from this podcast, I'm sure an inspiration to many. So thank you for sharing that. This podcast has been brilliant. Kelly, thank you for gracing us with your narrative, your story, your honesty, all you gave us. Um, I then rest with our listeners. Thank you for supporting Kelly. Thank you for taking this journey with us on this podcast to listen and support. And I hope you'll message her um, with any thoughts, you know, in, in our chats and our aftermath of each um, episode as we release them. I know Kelly would love to hear from all of you on how you helped her um, and how you're going to react and how you're going to go with your own next steps. So Thank you so much, listeners. Thank you, Kelly. This has been another edition of Dear Katie and Claire, over to you. Thank you, Katie. And um, I also want to thank the listeners for listening to the story and to remind you that if um, there's anything on this podcast that you found um, that brought up any issues for you or made you question anything, you can certainly visit takebackthenight.org for a list of resources and information about our legal support hotline. Just like with Kelly, we are never alone. There are many walking with us in healing and so in supporting survivors and in ending sexual violence. 
And for all of our listeners, together we shatter the silence, we end the violence, and we look forward to having you on our next episode. Thank you for joining Dear Katie. Take care.